Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Aren't you so glad that we can stop talking about politics? Yes. Is anybody glad? I'm very happy that we, that we can finish this from like the YouTube ads to, I don't know if you see any commercials anymore, but uh, the, the news, like 24-7, the news is always about election, election politics. I've had enough. Oh, and if you're not getting ma- like the mail for your household, say a prayer for whoever gets the mail because I could reconstruct a forest with the amount of mail I've gotten telling me to vote one way or another. Mailers like crazy. Um, Luckily, tonight, luckily you're at Apex, where we don't discuss political matters or politics. Unless, of course, like this is a cultural moment that we think that like God has wisdom for, you know. Or like, unless the Bible has something to say about what we're talking about or what we're living through. Or unless Pastor Ray is preaching on it on Sunday mornings at Harvest. Maybe in that case... Oh, that's right. We're talking politics, baby. Oh, oh yeah, you thought it was over. I'm going to hang on to it. Oh, man. We're in a series. We're starting a series called Talking Points. And if you go to church on Sunday mornings, it's going to line up almost exactly same scriptures and stuff, just a different perspective. We are talking talking points. I'm using a lot of thoughts from a pastor named Andy Stanley, who I've quoted before um, because I really respect his work and how he pastors his, converse, uh, his congregation through a political climate. And uh, so we're going to be using some of his thoughts. I, for one, I really am done talking about politics to the degree that I have been for you know several months. The election is over, um, even though we still don't know who the president is as of this moment. And we might tomorrow, probably not for a few days, <laughs> and then there will be recounts and lawsuits, etc. And even when we do, half of the country will be upset, but we'll be okay. Throughout this political like election season, I have fought with friends, and I've been upset, upset by social media posts, um, and there is lies and corruption and ethical compromise. It's all, it's a lot. But here's the thing. As much as I want to put my head in the sand, I just can't. There's like a bunch of reasons why I can't. Here's a couple of them. This stuff really does matter. Like it really matters because politics walks hand in hand with culture. So like our culture matters. And so to some degree, politics, they really do matter. The way our our country is going politically is where it's going culturally. Um, What we consider acceptable, who we want to lead us, what that says about us, it really does matter as far as culture goes. Politics, politics, politics matters because people matter. People matter to Jesus. So politics matters. I have to think about other people. I have to think about the people in the world who are not represented. I am privileged in many ways, but not everyone um, has the same luxuries that I do. And I need to take care of people that are not taken care of. That's part of my job as a Jesus follower. So when I vote, I'm thinking about people who aren't taken care of. I'm trying to take care of my neighbors. And finally, if I ignore it all, I'm releasing myself from the responsibility of doing politics the right way. I am absolving myself of handling this conflict in a way that represents Jesus well. I'm missing an opportunity. If I stick my head in the sand and I completely ignore politics, ignore election, ignore whatever's going on, I'm missing an opportunity to show the world where God and politics intersect and to show what God's love looks like in a political world. 
I don't know what your experience has been in this election cycle, but it seems to me that people, um, this, this season is marked by people leveraging fear. Fear is a huge part of this. And before you agree too aggressively, I mean that on every side, every issue, every person is leveraging fear on one side or the other of every issue. Democrats are afraid of fascism, and you should be too. Republicans are afraid of socialism, and you should be too. And, you know, maybe that's true. But there's a whole list of things on either side. There's a whole list of things people are telling me to be afraid of. Starting to bug me. (laughs) Being told what I should be afraid of. It seems to me that politics is marked by fear. And where there is fear, there is division. And fear is, is dividing the world. You've seen this, right? <laughs> You'd have to be alive for just a second to, to see the division in the world, the division in our country, in our families, in our friend groups. It is everywhere. The church, the church is not immune to this because the church is diverse enough, our church even, is diverse enough to have differing beliefs. And those things have led to division. The division is everywhere. And nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. There's a lot of money to be made in fear. Again, on both sides of the political aisle, people are making money off of making us afraid. Fear is very powerful when you're trying to gain uh, support for your side of an issue or a group or a political party. It's a major strategy to convince us that it's the end of the world if the other person wins. It's the end of your world if the other person wins. So what are we so afraid of? How do they manage to get this to work every four years? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of things, Uh, a list on either side of things we need to be afraid of. But if I could boil it down to one thing, I think, what exactly do we fear? People fear loss. We fear loss. We're afraid of losing control, losing opportunity, wealth, culture, freedom, progress, afraid of losing something. White people fear what might happen. Our black and brown brothers and sisters fear what already has happened. For some, it's not a theory. It's actual history, that loss. Everyone is telling us we need to be afraid of something. And if we're not careful, we will fall victim to this fear game. We will fall victim to these people trying to make money and gain support by making us afraid. And we'll let it divide us. I talked earlier about an opportunity to show people what God's love looks like in a political world. If we don't address this stuff, we're missing that opportunity to show our community, to show our country what the kingdom and family of God looks like. To show people how our faith impacts our politics and how we treat people that we disagree with. So we have an opportunity to show the world that we can disagree politically, but still love unconditionally. We can disagree politically and still love unconditionally, which leads us to the bottom line for our conversation tonight. It's real nice. Our oneness is our witness. I tweeted it yesterday. Our oneness is our witness. But tonight, I really don't want to just like say a rhymey phrase and then leave. I'd like us to really reflect, really take some time and look at this stuff. I want us to ask ourselves that question. Whether you know anything about politics or not, do you really want this? Do you want oneness in the church, in your community, in your family, in your friend group? Do you want oneness and unity? Do we really want to be able to disagree politically and still love unconditionally? 
And this does not mean that we like tolerate people and then roll our eyes when they walk away. Love is different than that. If I can say it in a few more words, are we willing to evaluate our politics through the filter of, a fa- of our faith rather than, and you might know what this looks like, you may have seen this, rather than create a version of faith that supports our politics? Are you willing to follow Jesus first? That's the question. Even when it creates distance between you and your political party or preferred candidate. There's a man named John, and he records the events of the life of Jesus. And he recorded what happened shortly before Jesus was betrayed and crucified and arrested and all that stuff. And so in these moments, Jesus had a prayer request, which I think is interesting. Jesus has a prayer request. (laughs) He's the You know, if he is God, he's also praying to God. It's very complicated. In these moments leading up to Jesus dying for us, he has a prayer request. He knew what was ahead of him. And this is the thing he was praying for as he knew what was coming in his very near future. Let's read it. It's in John 17. Verse one says this. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. The hour is the hour of his crucifixion. The hour has come. He, this is Jesus looking down the barrel of the end of his life. He knows what's coming. And he continues in verse 11. Now I am departing from this world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. So Jesus has been guiding and teaching this group of people for three years. He's, been, he's got like 12 close followers, a bigger crowd following, following him. And he's about to leave these people that he's come to know and love and teach and guide. And he asks God to protect them. But he asks God to protect them in a very particular way. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. That they will be united. Jesus prays that the church would be one. That he prays for unity at the end of his life. He knew it was coming. His prayer request is that his people would be united because oneness is our witness. He says more about it in verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So for the folks around him at the time, the people that have been following him, um, these people were divided. These are people that were Jews and Gentiles and Romans and Samaritans and women and slaves and freed people and soldiers and tax collectors, wealthy, impoverished. There is division in the group around him. And he says, unite them. And Jesus included me. (laughs) He also prayed for you. He says, the people that will ever believe in me, me, a couple thousand years ago, I get to be a part of Jesus' prayer request because I am, I've also experienced division. I have also experienced what Jesus is talking about here. He prays specifically for you and me. He prays for the brown people and the black people and the white people and the rich, the middle class, the impoverished people, the single and the married, the privileged and the Republican, hello, and the Democrat and the undecided people. He prays for me today because he knew that we would face division. Jesus prays that when the people of these groups join the family of God, that they would be united, that something would change in them because we know division, but that when we would join his family, join his kingdom, that we would be united. 
No matter what else divides us, we would be united in him because oneness, our oneness is our witness. And that sounds impossible. <laughs> that sounds like that cannot be done because I know division. That comes easy to me. <laughs> division comes easy. Exclusion, super easy. I got that. And that's why Jesus prayed for it because it doesn't come naturally to us. And he knew that we would need supernatural help to get this unity thing down. He continues in verse 21. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that, this is, this is an important part, right? Because he's given us this command. Or it's a prayer. He's praying to God that, you, that we would be united so that why? Why is, is the question he's about to answer? Why is it important that we are unified? So that the world, okay, so the people outside the kingdom and the family of God, the people outside, the people that don't go to church, maybe even reject the church, but are watching the church so that the world will believe you sent me. So that the world will believe you sent me. This is all about people that don't know Jesus. Be, uh, we are united so that people who don't know God will see his love in his kingdom, in his family. Go figure that this is what it's about, right? <laughs> does it feel like we're talking about this a lot? I hope it does, because <laughs> this is like one of Jesus's like, big deals, is that we would, we would show the love of God so that other people would find him, because other people finding him is what Jesus is all about. He's all about helping people get connected to Jesus. He's teaching us unity and connection because our oneness is our witness. So Jesus is praying for this church, um, the church that we know today, as well as the disciples that were there with him. And those disciples that were there with him, like they went into the world as one. Like they did this thing. They changed the world because they were united. They were united with one purpose, to make disciples, to help people find Jesus, to help people become more like Jesus. They were united with one message. That is, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the way to eternal life. He is hope and love and joy. He is everything you need. He is all about reconnecting us with God. And they were united with one command, love like Jesus loves. They were one. They changed the world. And their oneness was their witness. And our oneness is our witness. I'm very aware that most of you in this room did not vote yesterday. I'm very aware of that if it seems like I'm talking to grownups. But some of you did. Some of you in this room did vote yesterday. And some of you will vote next time. And all of you know someone who voted. Yes? <laughs> and all of you, this, all of this matters to every single person in the room, whether you voted yesterday or not. Because... The candidates will win or lose based on how many people voted for them yesterday. But the church, the family of God, us, we, win or lose based on how we behave in response to it. The church wins or loses based on how we react regardless of who wins. So we cannot let anything divide us. We cannot let anyone divide us because our oneness is our witness. During our, our country's short history, we have been let down a lot. Our two major parties of the day have let us down. They have failed morally. They have, they have fallen short. And they've let us down in big ways. And, and during our country's short history, plenty of political parties have turned out the lights 
because they died. <laughs> Are there any registered Federalists in the room? Uh-uh. Any Whigs? That's, that was a political party? No, there's none in here. <laughs> because those political parties left. Political parties come and go, and they fail and die. So why would we ever let a human institution create conflict in the body of Christ? Why would we ever let a temporarily elected official divide the church? Why would we ever let our political views, views that change consistently? Your parents probably believe something today that they didn't five years ago. Maybe you've experienced this. I have certainly experienced this. And that's good. That shows growth and humility. And Ailey Stanley said this part really well. Why would we let a political view divide us from a living, breathing you, the you beside you, the you that lives next door to you, the you that you're related to, the you that Jesus prayed you would be united with? Why would we let a political view divide us from a you that Jesus died for? He wants us to fight and struggle and sacrifice for unity in this thing for unity in his family. And he wants that for an important reason. Because our oneness is our witness. I've got two action points. I'm going to wrap up here pretty soon. The first one, it's right in front of you. It's a prayer. Don't take my word for it. Follow the example of Jesus and pray for oneness. Pray that God would unite your family, our church, that would you unite Apex. Pray that God would make us one so that we can influence many. Because our oneness is our witness. People see the love of God when we are united as a family. Here's the second thing. Find an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. This can be challenging. Find an opportunity to do it. And we are in a time of extra credit. This is, these are days of bonus points because these days are filled with such outrage and cancel culture and division that our love shines even brighter Today, when we choose unity instead of division, our love shines brighter. Our light shines brighter in the current darkness. Let the world see our oneness because our oneness is our witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for teaching us unity, for modeling unity, for, for praying for this for us. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you that you have shown us that unity is not only a priority, but it's, it's an evangelism strategy. It's a witness. People they see your love by watching us love each other, even when we disagree. Father, I pray that every person in this room would take up the responsibility of praying for unity, praying, for, praying that we are one so we can influence many. And God, I pray every single person here can find an opportunity to love somebody unconditionally with whom they disagree with politically. It can be challenging. So God, mend our hearts. Help us to be more like you. Help us to love like you love. We love you. And you have loved us so well, so help us to sh share that love with the people around us. We thank you. In your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.